just go old school. I'm good. I'm good. Amen. So again, happy Resurrection Sunday to each and every one of you. Uh, so happy to see your faces today. And um, I'm just happy about the day. Every year I try to, I try, it's not that I try not to. I think sometimes I ask myself, why does it mean so much um, to me personally? And, um, and always, you know, in a moment of reflection, what I get is that I'm still amazed that he did it for me. I don't know anybody else's story. I, I don't even consider anyone else's story when I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. But I know my own. And I'm still amazed the fact that he would endure such torture and punishment for me. And I know me. I know the me that you will never know. I know my deepest, darkest thoughts. And I'm still amazed that this pure and holy God would look at me. And as scripture says, when he looked at it, it was not a big deal. He was willing to. For me, for you and I, that brings me joy. And I'm, I'm just excited about that. So, um, anyway, I'm, I'm going to move forward so that I don't start rambling. Uh, today, we start uh, a new series on this uh, Resurrection Sunday. Um, and it is entitled, Good for Nothing. Good for Nothing. And so I was thinking about, uh, thinking about this, and um, for those of you all who know me, you know, I always, you know, my past and childhood stories come to part. And so I thought about when I was a child, when I was a kid, and um, this, is, this is the day before kids have to schedule play dates to play. Uh, I, you know, I'm still amazed at that today. The kids just don't go outside. We schedule play dates. Uh, this is before video games took over when, uh, you know, we, all we had was the Atari. Um, and it had like five games and it uh, wasn't levels. You just kept going uh, until your lives, your lives ran out. And uh, thinking about those days, and, uh, and I remember uh, we used to play. Our, our biggest thing was uh, we know them now as action figures. Uh, but when I was a kid, they were just simply called men men you just you went outside and you played with your men everybody brought their men uh, out to the field uh, in our apartment complex and you gather with you you bring your men and and what was um you know the thing then was that you would try to you try to get the entire set of men to for your collection and so um you know if if you had let's say for instance um the x-men you tried to get you know wolverine magneto you try to get them all together or or you know, those days it was like gi joe uh dextro you know you guys maybe you know snake eyes anybody know these characters yeah. no it's okay it's okay uh I, I had a lot of because of my cousin and i followed him a lot i had a lot of wrestling men wrestling men uh and that's what it was called wwf uh, i know we know wwe I don't even know what that is. We had w, the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, yeah, we had WWF, and uh, and I love the Junkyard Dog, and uh, and the Road Warriors. Man, yeah, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. I mean, man, I, I love to bring my men out. But 
There was also this thing, since you would try to complete your set, what you would try to do, or what you would do, is if you went to the playground and you found somebody who had the missing character from your set of men, we would barter, we trade. I mean, it was, it was taught economics way back in the day on the playground. We would barter and trade to complete our sets. Um, I was, at that time, still an only child, uh, before the mistake called my sister got here. Uh, she's here today. Uh, just serious. Uh, no, just joking. Uh, I, I was at a single child. You know, when you're a single child, you, you always wanted friendships, right? And so what I would do is I would go out, I would trade, but I'd come home with nothing uh, because I wanted everybody to be my friend. So I'd go to the, to the park or to the playground with my men, and if I had the missing pieces to someone's set, I, you can have it, and I'd just give it away. Uh, so after so long, my mama wasn't playing it anymore. And, um, and she got tired of me taking my men to the playground and coming home empty-handed. And so I remember the speech today. I, I still remember it. I, we lived in, in Georgetown in the South End, and I remember coming home, and she says, listen, I am not going to continue to spend my hard-earned money for you to take the gifts that I have given you and give them to someone else and then come home with nothing. Uh-oh. Man, I thought about this series and thought about that speech right there and how God gives us and grants us gifts. And how oftentimes in life we will take what God has given us and we will find ourselves in relationships and situations where then we turn around and come home and live our lives as though God has given us nothing. That's essentially what this series is about. We're going to walk for the next five weeks and we're going to talk about some of the gifts that God has given us that he's promised us. He's promised us peace. He's promised us rest. He's promised us joy. And we spend a whole lot of our time giving away those gifts, those precious gifts, and settling for nothing. And today, today we're going to talk about one of those gifts, and that gift is simply life. Jesus promised us life. When I say life, I'm not talking about the ability to inhale and exhale, because that could be just simply existence. He promised us the fullness of life. In fact, uh, our scripture today really tells us that's why he came. So if you have your Bibles, open up to a very, very familiar scripture, uh, the gospel according to John chapter 10. And we're just going to read for right now verse 10, our, our verse for today. And so it will also be available for you on the screen. Uh, the gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10. And it simply says this. The thief comes except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they have, may have it more abundantly. The thief comes but only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that they, that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And so for our, our time together today, my, my title is simply uh, The Doorway to Life. So this is not, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, it's not an unfamiliar scripture at all. Many of us have heard it. I mean, it's, it's, it's been around. Um, but what I've learned is that oftentimes many of the scriptures that we use and hear in church throughout the years and throughout our faith uh, journey, sometimes we hear those over and over again, but we don't always fully absorb them. 
we don't always fully live them out. And sometimes what's most familiar oftentimes become what we actually don't know, we don't understand. And so listening to this, my prayer was that I hope that today as we celebrate what Jesus has done, that each and every one of us would leave here today claiming that I am going to live the life that Jesus sacrificed himself that I might live. This could even be, if you're not familiar with it, it could be somewhat of a life verse for you. Uh, something that you just wake up every day claiming. I met with the guy uh, for breakfast on Thursday, and he says, that's my life verse. Every day I wake up and I read John 10, 10, and I claim that, that God, I would be able to live the abundant life that you came so that I might live. And so there's a lot of discussions about this. What's the difference between living and existence? What's the difference? Well, uh, I read a bunch of blogs and different things and let all the scholars debate. I don't really debate. I just kind of listen and read to what other people say. But there's a couple of things that I read that I thought I'd share with you the difference between living and existing. The first thing I saw is that living implies meaning and existing is mechanical. Living meaning. If it, if it has meaning, it requires work. There's purpose behind it. But existing is mechanical, which simply means you just basically live on muscle memory. The things that you do each and every day, those are the things that you're going to do tomorrow. If somebody asks you, what are your plans for the upcoming future? You'll say, it's the same thing. You ever remember Pinky and the Brain? Y'all remember that? Pinky and the Brain? Yeah, Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Okay, 90s babies, maybe. You know, 80s babies. So who knows? All right, Pinky and the Brain. At the end of every show for Pinky and the Brain, there was just one discussion that was had every time, and it was simply this. Pinky would look at the brain and he says, brain, what are we going to do tomorrow? And then the brain would say, the same thing we do every day, Pinky. Try to take over the world. <laughs> Some of us live with that same attitude. What am I going to do tomorrow? The same thing I did yesterday. I'm just going to wake up today and redo it over and over again. Thank you. The second thing is this, is that all things that live exist but everything that exists may not be living. All things that live exist, but everything that may exist isn't living. For instance, a rock exists, but it doesn't have life. A rock has an existence, but it has no meaning, no purpose for its life. So what about you? Are you living with meaning? Are you living with muscle memory, waking up each and every day just going through the motions? Are, are, you, are you living with purpose? Are you living the abundant life that Jesus asked for you? Is there meaning to your life? Are you alive? Are you alive today? Are you alive? That's, that's what Jesus said. I said, I'll give you life. Not only would he say I'll give you life, but I'll give you life more abundantly. So the way that I work is that I'm gonna, well, what does abundant mean? So I defined abundant. Abundantly means simply this, in a manner marked by great quantity or degree. So even what does that mean? Just what does it mean that you want me to live a life that is measured by a great quantity or degree? Now, I grew up in church, and I grew up in a certain type of church, and so this was defined in one particular way. The abundant life, not every time, but oftentimes was defined by what you have. And so if you had an abundance of things, then you were thereby living an abundant life. And then I went to another church. This church defined abundant life by the quality of life that you were living. Today, I don't want to hold either one of those arguments. 
My mission today is not to try to prove to you that abundance means things are not. It's not to try to prove to you that abundance means the quality of not. I think what's most important here is for us to understand, Jesus, what exactly is it that you want us to grasp when you say that we are supposed to have an abundant life? And so what I want to give you to you today is not what abundant life is, but how is the abundant life obtained? And I think in order to do that, what we've got to do is we've got to look at the story preceding the scriptures that we are reading today, starting in verse 9. So can I give you a little bit of context? I promise you it's going to make sense when we wrap it up. We've got to do a little bit of work. You okay? Y'all good with that? All right, so here's what happens. In chapter 9, chapter 9, man, it's pretty cool. Jesus finds this man who was born blind. He finds this man who was born blind. He comes to him and checks it out. Jesus heals him by this way. I think this is kind of nasty, honestly. Uh, Jesus sees the man. He spits on the ground, and he makes mud, and he rubs the mud on the man's eyes. The man goes and washes in the pool of Siloam, and he then has sight. The first question I have is, wow, Jesus, how much spit did you have to have in order to make mud? I just wanted to start there. That's my first question, Jesus. That's a whole lot. of. Maybe it was divine saliva. Did it just, you know, pour it out? I don't understand it. I actually went outside, no lie, in my front yard, moved some grass and spit until I could make mud. I just wanted to know, how much spit do you have to have to make a mud pie? That's just, you know, that, that's like a TV show for the future. Like, you know, how did he do that? He made so much mud, so much spit that he put mud on his eyes. The man went and healed, uh, got healed by washing in the pool of Siloam. The next thing that happens is the people in the town see this man, this man that they know to have been born blind, and they start to question as to whether or not it was him. Well, he then explains that it is him. He gives them his history. They find his parents. His parents said, listen, he's a grown man. He can answer for himself. Of course it is him. The church of the day, rather than celebrating with this man for the miracle that God did inside of his life, began debating about the theological implications of it. They wanted to know whether or not it should have taken place, by whom it took place with, at the time that it took place. They had a whole lot of unnecessary discussions rather than simply pausing and praising God because of the miraculous work that had taken place inside of his life. Here's what I'll tell to you all today. Here's my confession. I am a skeptic at heart. I question everything. But the one thing that I try not to question is the power of God moving in somebody's life. I try not to ever question that because I believe, I don't know about you, I believe that the same God who healed and changed and converted people 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that we are celebrating who is risen on this day. I believe. I believe. Man, the church gathered, the church gathered, and they had all these discussions. Man, it got real deep. It got, it got real deep, man. It got so deep that, check this out, they actually threw the guy out of church. It got so deep because he would not refute Jesus. He would not, he would not, he would not, he would not, he would not deny Jesus. And so since he didn't, they insulted him and they threw him out of church. But I'm so glad that we can read his story. And we can see this man, this man who Jesus touched and changed his life. And we can see that even when people who are supposed to be the representatives of God, even when they turn their backs on you, I'm glad this guy gave us an example that even when you're by yourself, you can still trust God. And you know what happened? As soon as they threw them out because he did not deny Jesus, what you'll find at the end of chapter 9 is that Jesus came and found him. After the church 
dismissed him. After they put him out of the church, he's suffering from church, church. And I know there's a lot of people in here who experience church, church, where the church has falsely represented themselves, where the church who are supposed to be God's representatives, where they hurt you, they insulted you, they threw you out, they turned their backs on you. What I want you to know based on the story of this man who was born blind is when the church turns his back on you, Jesus will come and find you. He came and found him, and he spoke into him, and he comforted him. And so Jesus is talking to the man who was born blind, and what do you know, the church folk, they came back into the picture. And Jesus began teaching them, and he began sharing something with them that it was, it was, it was over their head. They couldn't comprehend it. They didn't know what was going on. And then we get into chapter 10. And I like chapter 10. Chapter 10 is pretty cool. We, we, see, we see in chapter 10 this, this discussion that Jesus is having as this debate was taking place. We see that Jesus lets them know basically in, in the beginning excuse me, of chapter 10, we see that Jesus says to the guys that, um, yeah, listen, um, that I am the gate to the sheepfold. And um, whomever comes into the sheepfold and they do not enter through the gate, all of those people are considered thieves and robbers. And so they're listening to this parable because oftentimes Jesus told parables in a manner, we, we know it because we've read the story before, but this was all foreign to them. They, they heard this teaching and it was, it was new to them and they were confused and they didn't know that Jesus was telling them like, you, you, you are the thieves and robbers. Because you, you, you have not entered through me, which is the way, the reason why you are treating people the way that you are, because you have not passed through me. You are considered thieves and robbers. And I just thought about, man, I thought about the man who was born blind as he is standing there. And he's listening to Jesus. Not only Jesus comfort him, he's also listening to how Jesus is defending him. How Jesus is standing up for him in the midst of this situation, man. What, what, a, what, a, what a compassionate Jesus we have. Yeah, what a compassionate Jesus. And here's the thing. When Jesus, when you're certain that he's in your life, the one thing that you have to make sure that you don't allow is for people to steal your testimony. For people to steal the truth of what's taking place in your life. I, I've got a good friend, man. I love him to death. And uh, he struggles. He's a skeptic as well, much worse than I am. And he says, the only reason, Jamel, I promise you, the only reason that I follow Jesus is because I had an experience that I cannot deny. And because of the experience that I have, there's no way that I can turn my back on him. Otherwise, I'd been gone a long time ago. But because of that experience, I can't give it up. I thought about him and I thought about this blind man. I also thought about this sister named Morgan. She was a 22-year-old college student, and she was on her way home, leaving school, and she found herself on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. And she was there about to pay a toll, and she was stopped to pay her toll. A huge semi-trailer came behind Morgan's car, and it did not stop. She's panicking, her arm out the window, seeing the trunk coming in her rearview mirror. She's seeing that it is not even slowing down until it almost got close. The truck hits Morgan's car. She's on the bridge, and all she's doing is praying, Lord, please don't let my car go over the side of the bridge into the water. Well, unfortunately, Morgan's car goes over the side into the water. She's there and she's panicking. The car is filling up. She's almost fully submerged inside of the water. She's reaching to take off her seatbelt and her seatbelt is stuck. She can't get out. The water is now over her head. And Morgan says this. She says, as I am there, I tell you the truth. I felt a hand touch my shoulder. 
It touched my shoulder almost in a sense to tell me to relax. And she said, so I'm panicking and all of a sudden calm comes over me. I lean back into my chair, I pause for a moment, and I gently touch the seatbelt, and the seatbelt comes out, and I swim out of my car, and I make it to safety. Now, she's telling the story, and all of the church folk start coming up with all their smart ways to disprove Morgan's testimony. Oh, the only reason that she didn't get out at first is because she was panicking. And, you know, whenever you're in trouble, if you panic, you can't really gather your thoughts in order to do what you need to do. Oh, no, 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 no. She didn't feel a hand. Maybe it was the water when it first reached that point on her shoulder. And Morgan simply says this. Um, I don't care what any of you all have to say. All I know is that when water had reached my hand, I reached my hand up to the sky and I said, Lord, help me. And as soon as I reached my hand up, I felt something on my shoulder. And when it touched my shoulder, the Holy Spirit calmed me. And I don't know why, but I just stuck my hand down and the seatbelt came off and I swam to safety. I love it that you're so intelligent, but I believe that the Lord was with me in my car on that day. No matter what people say, no matter how well people speak or how well they argue, when you have a personal testimony and you know that the Lord has done something in your life, don't let anybody steal your testimony from you. I think about that as I'm watching this guy, as I'm envisioning this scene, as he's standing there and he's watching Jesus comfort him and he's watching Jesus defend him in front of the church folk, in front of the Pharisees. And I'm like, wow, what a great God we serve. That when the world turns its back on us, when, when people, when church folk even, when they are the ones who are the meanest to us, Jesus says, even then, I've got you. I've got you. So Jesus, Jesus teaches that first part of the scripture, and the Pharisees didn't get it. And so we come to verse 7, and I want you to see what Jesus says right here. He says, Jesus then said to them, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. I want you to notice right there in that verse a couple of things. The, the first thing is this, is that Jesus refers to himself twice as the door. So I'm going to show you a picture real quick about what the door looks like. This is what traditional sheepfolds in that day and time look like. The door literally means that the shepherd or the guardian of that day, the rest of the sheepfold was enclosed, and he would lay himself in the only entryway. Therefore, when people wanted to enter it, they had one or two options. Either you must pass through the door, Jesus, or you have to hop the wall, thieves and robbers. If you wanted to get in, you had to go through the door or hop the wall. What Jesus is saying to them is that based upon your behavior, there's no way that you could have passed through me. You have to have been thieves and robbers because had you passed through me, then you would know how to treat people. Because if you pass through Jesus, there's no way that you can hate. If you pass through Jesus, there's no way that you can discriminate. Everybody else who says that they are for me, that are with me, they are thieves and robbers if they haven't passed through me and they're hating people. They're not loving people. They're not treating people the right way. Jesus says, everybody else, those are thieves and robbers. But if you really want to be my follower, 
you'll enter through the door, for I am the door. I am the door, and the rest of you Pharisees, the rest of you are who are Haiti, the rest of you are thieves and robbers. I like that. I like that because I think about our day, our world today, and I have to tell you that it's been 2,000 years since he told this, and hasn't much changed. Because even today, thieves and robbers exist in our world, people who are not quite properly representing our Jesus. But Jesus says, I am the door. Not only is it the fact that you must pass through here, but also recognize even when thieves and robbers come, my job is not only to be the doorway, I'm also your guardian. Which means this, when thieves and robbers invade the sheepfold, you don't have to worry about defending yourself. There is a guardian there who is there to keep you even when the thieves and robbers come. They will come, but the guardian is there. So Jesus, Jesus is there, and he's, he said to be careful of them, be careful of them. And um, because they're, they're there to take something that doesn't, doesn't belong to them. He says, pass through me. Verse 9. You pass through me, if you enter me, you'll be saved, and you will go in and out, and you will find pasture. Therein is the abundant life. If you want to know how the abundant life is obtained, it is not through verse 10, it is actually through verse 9. Listen to what he says again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's abundant living. If you enter, I'll save you and I'll allow you then to go in and out and find pasture. I hope you weren't thinking that there was going to be something about what you would receive. I want you to hear what Jesus says, how the abundant life is obtained. It's not in verse 10, it's in verse 9. If you enter me, I'll save you, I'll give you life. I'll give you life, I'll save you for all of eternity. But not only will I save you, I'll give you the ability to pass in and out and find, I'll give you the ability to find and discover everything that you need if you pass through me. Notice, notice, notice the difference. For the Pharisees, the thieves and the robbers, Jesus says, you, you didn't come through me. You're thieves and robbers. I can tell by the fruit of your life. I can look at you and I know that you have not been here with me, for you are thieves and robbers. But then I feel like he turned and he looked to the man who was born blind and he looks at him and he says, yeah, but for you, if you enter through me and I'll save you, I'll give you the ability to go in and out and find and discover everything that you need for your life. So verse 10 then says the thief then comes not only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come so that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And right here as he's at this point, the thief takes on a different tone than it did in verse 9 and the preceding verses. 
Here, the thief becomes a much broader thing. In fact, Rudolph Boltman says at this point when Jesus is talking about the thief, he's talking about any promise inside of the world, whether it be a person or otherwise, that exists or that a person will believe that can fulfill salvation or be salvific for you. Anything that you think can be completely fulfilling for you, that thing becomes a thief. There are a lot of things in our lives that we believe can totally fulfill us. Jesus says those things are thieves. The only thing that can fully give you the gateway, the doorway to life is me. Everything else is a thief. Y'all give me a little stone face look right now. So let me, uh, let me see if I can help to make it clear. Um, um, in, in, in Alaska, Alaskan hunters have this unique way of hunting wolves. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. What they'll do is they'll take a, a knife, a, a, not a long knife, a pretty short knife, and they will, they will stick it in the ice, and then they will pour animal's blood over top of it until you can't even see the knife itself. What will happen to the wolves is wolves smell blood. They'll come to the blood, and they will begin licking the animal's blood off the knife. Well, after so long, the animal's blood has been gone, but there's still blood on the knife. The blood that's on the knife now is the wolf's, and what the wolf does not know is that the wolf is slowly licking the blade into its own demise. What Jesus is talking about is there are a lot of things, a lot of blades that are disguised in our world with things that we think are substantive for us, but things that will ultimately kill us. And so what the enemy does is the enemy puts things in front of our faces that may feel good or be fulfilling for the moment. But if you continue on, what you will discover is that it is slowly but surely sucking the very life out of you. We all know the story. There's drugs, there's alcohol, there's sexual addictions, there is gambling. There's all types of things that we can run, a litany of things that now, the reality is this, anything that is disconnected from Jesus that you use to try to fulfill your purpose in life is a thief and it will suck the life from you. Jesus says it only comes to do one thing, that's to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. So be leery of those things, watch out for those things, because that is not the reason why I've come. I've come so that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So, that's the abundant life. It's not about prosperity or otherwise. I, I don't know what a full life looks like for you. I don't know what God calls you. I don't think that it's the same thing for each and every one of us. But all I know is that Jesus says this, whomever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your gifts are, whatever you lack, whatever it may be, the only thing I have for you is passed through me. Let me be the doorway to life. Pass through me, and I'll ensure that I'll give you salvation, and you'll pass through me, and I'll make sure that everything you need, you'll have. I'll make sure that you're able to find pasture. So there are two asks here that Jesus is giving to us. The first one is simply this. Jesus is asking us to be his sheep and for him to be our shepherd. That's what he wants. He wants to be our shepherd and for us to be a sheep. Allow him to lead you. Allow him to guide you. Allow him to speak into your life. Jesus wants to be a shepherd. And the second thing is this. Jesus wants you to allow him to be your doorway. What does it mean for Jesus to be your doorway? Simply this. Everything that you do, let it pass through the filter of Jesus. In your relationships, 
Let it pass through a Jesus Christ filter. Your, your, your career, let it pass through the filter of Jesus. Let him measure your worth and your value. Let him tell you which direction. Let everything pass through the filter so that you'll discover and determine whether or not this is something that he is calling you to or if it's something that the enemy has set you up for. Let everything pass through the filter. This is what I believe that the writer was telling us in, in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Lean not to your own understanding, and he will direct your path. Let everything that you do pass through the filter. And here's the thing. I, I want to be clear about that. Because when we oftentimes read those, we, we eliminate some things. We remove because we think some things we have, we have covered. So he says this. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and in all of your ways, acknowledge him. What happens is, we believe that there are some things that we've got covered. And so we no longer allow those things to pass through. We no longer acknowledge him because we think we're good enough. I, I, I remember a man a few months ago, uh, we, we, we were doing a relationship series. And um, one, of, one of the guys invited a friend to church, and it was the first introduction into the relationship series. And he asked him, well, what do you think about, uh, about the message? He says, uh, you know, we're talking about relationships. I don't really need all that help. I kind of got that covered. I'll come back when he's talking about something else that I really need help with. And uh, my friend, man, who's a member of the church, looked at him and says, boy, you, you're, you're 19 years old, dummy. You don't know nothing about relationships. You need to be the first one back here next week. But for all of us, there are certain things that we refuse to allow to pass through the filter. You think that you're so financially stable enough that you don't have to filter your financial life through Jesus. Yes, you do. You think because you've been married forever that you've got all the relationship things together so you don't need to let Jesus speak into your relationship. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You think that you're so intelligent that you got the intelligence factor put together. You need Jesus to help you with these other things because you've gone to school. You've gotten educated. And so you don't need Jesus for any of those things. Y yes, you do. Yes, you do. You, you think, you think, or, or you think the things that are out of your control the things that you know that you have no control over are the only things that you're supposed to acknowledge him with. What that means is this. Um, Lord, I know that I, I, can't, I can't protect my children everywhere, so I'll let you have them. Lord, Lord I know that I can't foresee what that's going to look like, so I'll let you speak into that. What Jesus is saying here, and the writer was saying back then, in everything you do, in all your ways, in every aspect of your life, in every area, in every conversation, in every relationship, every day, let everything pass through the filter, and he will direct your path. Let everything be a part of what you do. And when you do, Jesus says, then I promise you that you will have an abundant life. You will be able to live life to the fullest, which means you'll understand that you can be content in all situations. You'll be good when you are abased, when you're down. You'll also be good when you are lifted up, when things are abounding in your life. It won't matter how much money you have. It won't matter whether you have a boo in your life. It won't matter if you have everything that you wish is the way that you wish it, it would be. None of those things will matter. What Jesus is saying, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what status you are in, I promise you that I'll make sure that your life feels full. And the one thing that I know about people today is, man, there's an emptiness that exists in so many of us. 
Because we spent so much of our lives trying to make sure that other things can fulfill the holes inside of our hearts. But Jesus is saying, none of those things are what you need. What you need is me. You need to pass all of those things to me, and I'll make sure even some of the most insignificant things will find value for for you in your life if you pass it through me. Jesus says, give it to me, and life will be abundant for you. That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the day that Jesus says, not only have I proclaimed this for you, but I'm going to suffer bleed and die so that you can have life. Not only am I going to suffer, bleed and die, but I'm also going to make sure that when you feel like you're by yourself and when the world seems to be crumbling in on each side of you, when you feel like you have no help, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you a comforter who's going to be there as my very voice is speaking to you. So that when you don't know which direction to go, when you don't know what filter to pass things through, my spirit will speak to you. My spirit will help you to keep you in all of your ways. If you just allow me to be with you and to keep you, I will. For that's the reason that I died. Jesus died for no other reason than for us to have life. That's not the victory, right? The victory isn't in the fact that he died. The victory is in the fact that he got up. And when death, hell, and the grave thought that it had us down, Jesus rose up on that third day. And because he rose up on that third day, you and I, no matter where you come from, no matter what you experience, no matter what your background may be, we all are here, no matter where we come from, no matter what our ethnic heritage is, we are all here. We have life. Because Jesus has life. And because he has life, we no longer have to fear death, hell, and the grave. Because Jesus rose from the grave, life and life more abundantly is ours. And one day on that one present day, we'll be able to stand before our God. And we'll be able to listen to him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come experience the life that I came and promised for you way back on Calvary's cross. And he'll look at us and say, my son and my daughter, all of your pain, all of your suffering are no longer present here. And you have life and life eternal more. And I'm good.